0: This morning's first scripture reading is from Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. And our second scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David
1: So most of you will have likely heard the Beatles song, Let It Be, written by Paul McCartney. And perhaps you've even found comfort in the song's lyrics at some point as kind of a musical sage guiding you to acknowledge and accept the difficult circumstances that you might find yourself in. The lyrics go like this, if, let me, if you're not familiar. When I find myself in times of trouble, my comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be, let it be. Let it be, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. And when asked who he might be referring to as Mary, and whether that's the mother of Jesus, McCartney answered that it's up to each listener to interpret who that Mary might be. But Paul McCartney later shared that he had his own vision of his own mother who was named Mary during a difficult season in his life. But if you're a Beatles fan, you might even know there's a third story to this. The original lyrics were actually Brother Lawrence, not Mary. Brother Lawrence is his co-author for many of his songs. So... Whatever the truth might be, the song tells a story of the reality of difficulty and an encounter with someone who speaks words of assurance and wisdom just to let it be in the midst of real-life stuff. In the midst of this stuff, the song describes an encounter. It describes a response that offers a way forward. And I wonder if that is perhaps what the season of Christmas could offer to us as well. Today is Christmas Eve, and we are on Christmas Day. And we've referred to it as the season of Advent in this season leading up to Christmas Day. And if you're not familiar with Advent, it is the Latin word for coming or arrival. Where we both remember the past arrival of Jesus, but also the future arrival of Jesus to our world. And over these past few weeks, we've been walking through Advent in this series called Advent Action. Looking at the actions that we can do in this time of waiting. As Melissa read for us earlier in the service, that this is an active kind of waiting. And when we look at the lectionary readings, we see that waiting isn't just passive. We, are, we can be alert, we can make way, and last week just reminded us that we can proclaim. But today's action word is a little less direct, and while it certainly is an action, it also reflects a general posture towards not just a specific circumstance, but our relationship with God. Today's action word is, let it be, spoken by another individual thousands of years before Paul McCartney ever penned those words. And in this case, the identity of the person who says these words is a little clearer. Luke's gospel account attributes them to Mary, the mother of Jesus, after she encounters the angel Gabriel. So we're going to look at this kind of appropriate action during the season of Advent. We're going to look at an encounter, a response, and an action. An encounter, a response, and an action. Now, you could say this series of actions is a meta-action. A high-level action in response to God's arrival to us in Christ. And every time we meet Jesus in worship, or in God's word, or in a prayer, or simply in a conversation, we can consider that these steps are an invitation from God. An encounter, a response, and an action. So, first, let me just put it on the table The text today describes a very fantastic scene. Fantastic in the sense of what it reveals, but also completely fantastic in the details to our modern ears. An angel appearing to a human and having a conversation with them. A teenage virgin getting pregnant to someone that she's not engaged to. Someone who's pregnant, and she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, we're told. These details seem improbable, unbelievable, in the realm of fairy tale and fable. It's understandable to get hung up on these, wondering how this could have actually happened. But don't worry, you're not alone in that feeling, because Mary felt that herself. I don't think it was a daily occurrence for people living in the ancient Near East to expect angels to show up and tell that you are pregnant and give birth to the Savior of the world. But let me just say this. If there is a God who exists, and if there is a God who acts beyond our understanding, then perhaps one thing that we can do is hold our doubts and questions very humbly. Because if we could understand all that God does, and if we could understand how God does all those things— then we wouldn't really need it. Because we would otherwise just be God. Now, while most of us, I don't think, consciously believe ourselves to be God, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we often act and think and speak like we are God. My point is this: if God is real, and if God is beyond what we think is natural for us, then we should fully expect that God can do work beyond the realm of what we think is natural and what we think is normal. It's already fantastic enough for the ancients that this origin story of a religious hero is attributed to a teenage woman's testimony. Because if you really wanted to make up a believable but fictional story, you probably wouldn't make it up this way for more people to receive it. So, let put that on the table. Let's take a step back from that conversation and observe what is really happening here. Because at its root is an encounter with the reality of who God is. Mary is simply just doing life. Luke tells us what's happening in her life. Normal details of living in this world. Mary's relative, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. We're told that We find out that they seem to have a close relationship because after this scene, she goes and spends three months living with her relative. We're told that Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph. We're dropped into the day-to-day life details of Mary, but something happens. God shows up. And in this case, God shows up to Mary through a messenger named Gabriel. And this encounter is couched in love and in God's favor. When the angel Gabriel shows up, we see that Mary is seen, Mary is named, and Mary is assured. Throughout Scripture, we see other examples of God showing up in people's lives. Sometimes they are quite fantastic, like this scene. Other times they are a little more mundane. The point is, is that the living God shows up and people must confront this reality of God before them. And in our modern day and culture, maybe God shows up in different ways to us. Maybe in a conversation with a friend. Maybe God shows up through reading Scripture or hearing a message. Or maybe God shows up to us in those moments of beauty, of art, and of music, and of nature. And maybe God even shows up in those liminal moments where the boundary between life and death seems paper thin. God shows up, often encountering us in ways that we often don't expect. If we're willing to pay attention, God might be there. In a call catching up with a friend that I had got to baptize and disciple and now is a missionary serving in Asia, he was, uh, I was talking with him this week, and he asked me how God has met me in recent months, especially in light of grieving the loss of our son, Evan. And I told him that encountering God, for me, looks very different than in other seasons of my life. While I certainly still do encounter God in music, scripture, and in prayer, I find that God's loving reality shows up in other ways, too with my heart laid raw from loss, it seems that God often shows up in my journaling and in my writing. God shows up often in the silent abyss of solitude. And in that solitude, what's often most present, I find, is not just God, but the absence of Evan. And rather than sit and run, or sorry, rather than run from the heaviness of that grief, I've learned to sit in it and to trust God to meet me in the midst of it. And I wonder, perhaps God does encounter us more often than we think. But we're often too preoccupied with our distress to notice it. I wonder, if, what if Mary was too preoccupied with her day-to-day tasks? her wedding plans, her future life with Joseph, with helping her relative Elizabeth with her pregnancy. These are all worthy and good things to do in life. But what if she was so preoccupied with them that she did not notice God showing up, even as conspicuously as God did through this messenger messenger Gabriel? See, the Advent and Christmas season is a reminder of how God shows up in human history, in the midst of real, nitty-gritty details of human life. You know, as Mary does life, she has a God encounter. The question is, how will she respond? And as we do day-to-day life, how might we respond to God showing up? Will we even notice it? In this God encounter, know what happens with Mary the gospel writer Luke points out that Mary's immediate response is what? Mary, we're told, is greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And after she responds and tells him that the Savior of the world is going to be born and you're pregnant, she says, How will this be since I'm a. We're told an angel is before her. She is troubled, she's confused. The angel says that she's going to conceive and give birth to the Messiah and name him Jesus. She's completely befuddled. And her relative, who isn't expected to give birth in her old age, is now also pregnant, six months. Mary is thinking, this is scary. This does not compute. This does not make sense to my way of seeing the world. Mary's response to God, this God encounter, And its implications are understandable. But even more meaningful is Mary's response in how it could be a model for our response to God. When she says, greatly troubled, she's saying, this is scary. I don't know what to do with this. What do you do in response to God like this? She names her emotions. She feels her feelings. And when she responds with wonder and saying, how can this be? She's saying, this does not compute. In response to God showing up, she begins to see that her worldview needs to shift of what is possible. And this is often what happens when we encounter God. An encounter with the living God of love often conjures up an emotional response, but also an intellectual response. And if we're willing to do so, to name our feelings, to feel our feelings, and To understand the cognitive dissonance that might begin as we encounter the living God of love. These are very appropriate responses to encountering the reality of a holy, righteous, almighty God. And even more, I wonder that when we feel an intense emotion, whether it's fear, or pride, or anger, or joy, or peace, or love when we feel those feelings maybe god has already been meeting us there or maybe when we find our thought structures challenged when we the way we see ourselves is confronted or when the way we have understood the world around us and the way it works begins to shift under our feet maybe god has been drawing our attention to a different way of looking at the world By attending to our emotions and to our assumptions, if we're willing to go there, we just might find God's gentle, loving presence already at work, inviting us deeper into his love. And isn't that a normal part of the human experience that helps us become more fully human, to become more like the people that God has created us to be? So here's a question for us. How do we typically respond to new information that doesn't fit our existing paradigms or values? What do we do with it? Do we dig into our assumptions and preconceptions, saying, of course I'm right. What are the possible ways there to look at this? I can't believe that you are even bringing this up. Or do we just ignore it, push it off to the side as irrelevant? Or do we band up with others? others who think like us in real life or on social media, and we mock this new information because it doesn't fit our frame of reference. I think these are all things that we naturally do. Or are we open to new ways of seeing things, even if they might challenge our presuppositions? Mary's response is an example of the latter one. It's a very real and honest response naming our emotions, naming our frameworks, and she responds naming her fears and considering how things don't make sense to her. But she does not run away from God. She does not run away from God. The Christmas season celebrating Christ's arrival is a reminder of the very human nature of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus knows both pain and comfort. Jesus knows both sorrow and and joy. And the arrival of God in the flesh, which is the meaning of incarnation. The incarnation is in carne, in the flesh. This arrival is a reminder that the God who comes to meet us is not just a concept. God isn't just an idea or a set of morals to live by, but Jesus is a real human being who lives in the flesh and shows us how to live fully in relationship with the God of love. Mary sets an an admirable example of how we might respond, fully feeling our feelings, recognizing our thought patterns, yet her response is humble and open-handed. It's a trusting response, which leads us to our final movement today. You see, we could just stop at paying attention to our emotions and recognizing our thought structures. They're a challenge when God shows up. We could stop there. But Mary shows us that there's more. There's a further step. Because God isn't just an idea, but a person who enters into the nitty gritty -gritty details of human life, we can do more than just pay attention to our feelings and to our thoughts. We are compelled into action in light of the reality of God in our midst. Mary, do after this information. After this encounter, she, has, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The other uh, the NRSV and ESV, other transla- English translations, translate the- render this phrase differently. It says, here I am, this is the NRSV, here am I the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. The ESV just changes it a little bit. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, Mary's let it be is very different from Paul McCartney's let it be. See, the Beatles song signals a recognition of what may come. It's almost fait accompli. Even though we may not like it, we can do what, what can we do to change it. We, we'll just need to learn to accept things that we cannot change. It's this kind of wisdom. It's chicken soup for the soul wisdom that says it's not worth fighting for. I know we love chicken soup, right? It's this kind of wisdom that says it's not worth fighting for things that you'd have no control over. So it's better just to ride it out. And there's wisdom in that. But Mary's let it be is a different kind of let it be. It's not letting it be to fate. It's not letting it be to some cosmic unknown force. Her let it be is a posture of humble surrender to the living God of love. And more specifically, it's it's a yielded trust to God's revealed word to her. Let it be with me. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's let it be is a beautiful example of what it means to trust and to follow Jesus. It's this humble and immediate response to God's word and promise. It's the ultimate meta-action in response to God. In response to encountering God, we find that Mary doesn't just sit there and feel and think. What happens immediately after? We're told that she acts We're told that she gets up immediately and goes to the hill country in Judea to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth, her relative. And upon arriving and greeting Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. And Mary responds in worship with this song that has come to be known as the Magnificat. You see, when we respond to an encounter with God, we are compelled to action that spills over into sharing God's goodness with others. And our hearts are compelled to release praise to the glory of God. And though we did not read all the other lectionary readings today, the Old Testament reading assigned to this week is 2 Samuel 7, which describes King David's feeling compelled to build a temple for the ark of God's presence. And the reading from Psalm 89 that Rick read for us, shares this, that's up on the screen, shares this heartfelt praise response to God's goodness and faithfulness in the past. And it's likely a psalm that Mary herself had ingrained in her memory and informed her own song that is recorded for us here. So, no matter where you see yourself in relationship with God today, the Christmas season is an opportunity to hear afresh how God's love for you is revealed in the arrival of God's Son, Jesus. Jesus comes to live and to die and to rise again and is now sitting at the right hand of the Almighty God, cheering for God's plan to happen in your life and in the whole world's life. At the same time, Jesus is encountering us in mundane and profound ways through the Holy Spirit speaking out and reaching out to each one of you how might you respond to this reality of God amongst us? Is the Christmas season just a great time to be with family and friends reconnecting? Is it a time just to watch some feel-good movies and share some food and drink? Or perhaps, is it an opportunity to pay attention to a God encounter? God just may be encountering you in ways In in conspicuous or conspicuous ways. I invite you to respond. By naming your emotions before God. Feel those feelings. God can take them. Respond by be willing to confront your trust structures. Those things that you rely upon. That may not be as solid as God. And take a step. Take a step towards Jesus in humble yielded trust. Take the ultimate action in response to God. And could Mary's words not just be words for today, for you, but for every moment of the rest of your life? Let it be with me according to your word, God. This is the real let it be that changes lives and changes the world. Let it be. Let God be. Let God be God. Because on the other side of that is a promise of love and forgiveness and peace and of comfort that far exceeds any gift that we might desire for ourselves in this season. So may you, my friends, follow Mary's example in how to trust and follow God. Amen.